Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with Fox Sports broadcaster Chris Myers. All right, let's do this. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, we're joined by a man that's covered Super Bowls, World Series, NBA Finals, the Masters, NASCAR. He's done it all, and he continues to do it all. Welcome Fox Sports broadcaster Chris Myers. Chris, thanks for coming on the program. Uh, it's good to talk to you, Brett. I, I look forward to uh, to chatting. It's been a while. It has been a while. Um <laughs> What's the most random sport? You've done a lot of things, you know, doing my prep work on Chris Myers. I thought, what haven't you done? But what's the most <laughs> random sport you've ever covered? Wow. Uh, well, I, you know, I did a, I did a, and I love doing this. Okay. Because I grew up on football, baseball, basketball. Right. And then the Fox put me into NASCAR, which I, I, you know, my brothers were big into cars and auto racing. I followed it, but not, not like I did the other sports. So I, I like all the years. This is what's great about this business, you have different challenges, and I enjoy that without leaving the basics, you know. Uh, but I did a, I did a, a dart tournament. It was a professional dart tournament in Las Vegas that had a kind of an international flavor of, you know, people from Ireland and England and other places. And uh, that was fascinating. Everybody plays darts when they're in a bar. But this was, I mean, I, you know, you, how do you prepare for this? You know how to play darts. But the, the crowd, the people who participated that were very good, uh, it was like noon in Vegas, so they were all drinking beers and as, as we started the tournament. So it was like a party. So that was that was different. And then uh, the last few years when Fox got the rights to the Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show, which has been around for over almost 150 years. It's the second longest running competition in the U.S. other than the Kentucky Derby. I, I got to do a, a dog show. I, not that I've ever shown dogs or bred dogs, but I, I have always had a dog growing up. I love dogs. They've been a part of my life and then with my kids, my family. So, so that's really been enjoyable in terms of when you say random or just kind of out of the ordinary kind of things I've, I've got to have been able to cover or work on at the live, you know, the live broadcast. And that's, that's the great sense is doing it, doing it live, you know, beyond uh, the, the passions of football and baseball. That's fascinating to me, the darts. And I'm thinking, OK, <laughs> you come off, you, you, you're coming off a, a World Series or, or let's say, you know, a Super Bowl. And all of a sudden you're in Vegas at noon. So wh- <laughs> what are you think? Like, am I serious right now? What? How yes. Can I, how can I bring some levity to this? <laughs> exactly. And that's my approach. I never want to demean or make anybody feel whether it's you know you hear people i don't like soccer i hate watching golf or what you know so but this is important to them and i like the challenge so i want to have fun with it and i got to get in there you know you study and you prepare with who's who's the top candidate coming in from ireland and how's uh and and you learn as much as you can about it and and that but then you say you know where can i have fun with this where can i take people who who aren't dart fanatics who might be flipping the channels uh, and and you bring them into this and, and appreciate it like, you know, like if, you know, like I can or if, if I love darts I mean, or like if I love football and I was telling somebody who never really 
watched the NFL or wasn't passionate about it. So that was kind of my, my approach, but I got to admit a few times I'm saying like to myself, do I really, you know, I like a challenge and I'm glad they asked me to do it, but do I really belong here? Is, is this really, I, you know, I never looked down on anything, whether it's, you know, an NFL game that's in the preseason or a spring training baseball game, because there's still, you know, if you're in this, you'll love the, the people in sports and the sports themselves. So there's always room for that. And I, I find that, you know, the more random, as you call it, the more unique, some event is, uh, you know, the more interesting the people are. They're not the typical football or baseball player, that type of thing. So, but yes, yeah, sometimes you say to yourself, okay, Chris, let's dial it back. This is a place you really don't belong, you know, you, you, or you shouldn't go into this. Yeah, challenge is one thing, but let's leave that to somebody else. For example, if somebody said do, you know, cricket, I mean, yeah, I could study it and maybe do a, a pre-show or a post-show, but actually calling cricket, I, I think I would have some trouble with that. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, though, because you're right. Whether it's a spring training game, whether it's it's a preseason game in the NFL, you have to take it serious and, and darts. I mean, it, it is different, you know, for a fan watching Chris Myers. OK, I just saw him interviewing Brady. Now he's at the darts convention. Yeah. And you've yeah. got to be careful. You're right. Not to have a. Uh, you know, a, a condescending tone in any way, because this is what these guys do for a living. And, and like you said, it was interesting for you. It was something different, probably outside your comfort zone a little bit. When, when you said, OK, I got to call darts. How do you do that? And then <laughs> and then you go into that study session. But uh, yeah, interesting. And probably a little bit of a challenge, you know? Yeah, no, it is. And that's why you and I look, I realize, that, and I, to, you know, to me, some people may, oh, Chris, what happened? You were doing the Super Bowl. And I, well, I, I still get to do those those other things. And I, and I, I really, I'm grateful that, that people ask, and there's been some things I've been asked to do that I, I didn't think I was right for, or at least couldn't prepare enough. And I think give enough of, uh, uh, not the, the right kind of energy for it, uh, to make it an enjoyable, uh, broadcast. But I, you know, I kind of take pride in that and, and taking some of the offbeat types of things that I've done through the years. It, it, it's funny. I, I did. I, I didn't call it, but I covered polo once when I was starting in radio, and I was like, you know, I did some golf on the on the on the course as the radio reporter, and that was interesting. So I think that kind of triggered a little bit thing in me that if you you know you have a professional approach uh, to doing something and you have the right resources, and now we have more than ever, Brett, in terms of you know whether you're going online, you have access to people who've participated in things, you, you really you know can prepare for almost anything. And other than having the years of going through it, you know the experience to reference history. But usually when I'm doing these kinds of things, I had an expert next to me who had a retired dart champion who I think from England at the time. And just like when I did the, the dog show, I have a, a retired judge or a former show uh, breeder or show handler. And so they are, you know, they kind of are the analyst in the booth. Like I remember you sat in with Joe Buck and Tim McCarver at a postseason. I was a field reporter and there's different roles, but as long as you have that that person, you have to know your role and then you have that person to lean on. I think you can cover anything and, and really make it interesting and entertaining for people. And I do try to have, sometimes I've been accused of having a little too much of a sense of humor, again, without being demeaning or insulting. But I, I you know, if you, if there's an opportunity to get a laugh or have somebody laugh or think out outside of what they're watching, then, then I usually will go for that. Well, whatever you've done, it served you well. You, you, you've stood the test of time. Um, Chris Myers as a little kid, native of Miami, Florida. Were you an athlete growing up? Uh, liked sports, but not a good athlete. Didn't really 
prepare or focus on it early enough to really enjoy anything. Okay. Baseball player. Okay. Basketball player, backup quarterback for football. So yeah, always, you know, it wasn't a dream of mine to be an athlete, but I liked it. I wanted to be a part of it. I liked the whole team concept and, and buddies on the team and that kind of stuff. Shamanade or Shamanade high. I don't know how you exactly. Yeah. Shamanade, Shamanade, Shamanade high school. Right. And this I found really interesting because I know what I was doing when I was 16 years old. And, you know, we I went on to do what I did. You went on to do what you did. Um, but you had your own show when you're 16 years old. And I, I, I did. It was that the time you kind of make that decision. Well, I love sports, you know, and, and like you said yourself, you know, I wasn't the you weren't the best player. Right. Uh, <laughs> but you love sports. It was this your way of going? Well, I, I still want to be involved in sports, maybe behind a microphone. Yeah, it was. And I, I knew early that I, I liked sports in a number of different ways. Uh, my father, I come from a big family, five children. My father worked a second job. He was kind of like, you know, make sure you you know, get your studies right. and You better do well in school kind of thing. So he wasn't anti-sports. We just didn't have a lot of time for that. There wasn't a lot of emphasis on that growing up in, in South Florida, the Miami, Fort Lauderdale area. So when I was supposed to be doing my homework, I was listening to sports talk radio or trying to watch whatever sports, again, it was a different time. There was just wasn't as much sports available to watch on television, but I really, you know, I really enjoyed that. So that was kind of an outlet for me. Uh, and as you said, I, I never really dreamed of being an athlete, but I really admired, you know, uh, watching athletes, even, you know, guys from high school and college that, you know, that I was around like, wow, they, they really have this talent and the skill to go to the next level. So that wasn't my desire, but I, I knew, yeah, I wanted to be around it as you, as you pointed out. And, and the way I got the, the job was I would call into a radio talk show in Miami, WKAT. It was Cat with a K. They had a sports radio show two hours a night. And I would be Chris from Miami. But then I would, you're supposed to just call once a night, but I would call back and disguise my voice as Duke from North Miami, a different guy. <laughs> and I would agree with my earlier calls. So that way I would get on the air more. And I, I didn't realize it at the time, but that's kind of how I started that about when I was 13 or 14. So I had this going for about a year or so. And that, that kind of developed what would later become a career. You know, they invited me down to the studio one time. They had some callers that they invited down. They said, well, you're just a kid, but you have a deep voice. And I got a part-time job on weekends as soon as I got my driver's license. And then that's how I, I kind of got my own weekend radio talk show at the age of 16 while I was still in high school at, at, at Chaminade. Wow, that's interesting. And wow, it's it's kind of like, you know, I talked to a young kid today or I talked to a, uh, a kid, their parents and the parents question that, you know, they have a ton of questions. You know, I'm always thinking in the back of my mind, no, little Johnny doesn't have a chance in hell. But yeah, right. OK, what are you saying? What are you saying? But the one thing I do know you need, you know, unless you're that rare talent, unless you're that Mike Trout, that LeBron James uh, they're going to make it no matter what, because they're born right. different. Ken Griffey Jr. is just different than the rest of us. He was born different. Mm -hmm. He could fall out of bed and be a big ligger. Now, the time and effort he puts in, it, it will determine how how good of a big ligger you're going to be. But I always tell the, the kids, especially as they develop and they're getting older. If you're going to pursue this life, you've got to be passionate about it. I've never met a, a, a 
just a, a regular guy that wasn't overly passionate about what he was going to do. And when you tell that story about not only am I going to call in because I'm only supposed to call in once a night, but I'm going to call in twice. I'm going to call in three times. I'm going to disguise my voice. That sounds right there. There's the passion you need uh, to get where you're going. And it resulted in next thing you know, you got a show and you come in and uh, no, I think it's pretty cool. And it's something at 16. I would have never thought if, I, if me and you were buddies, I'd be, what are you doing, Chris? Well, I, call, Bodie, I can't go out with you tonight because I'm going to be calling it. Then I got to call in again. I'm going, what is this guy doing? But right. looking back, that's what that's the kind of that passion you need. Yeah, I, w- I was kind of driven without realizing this, just as you said. And I did. I did sacrifice. Uh, I did make it to the prom. But I with time with my buddies and things like that, uh, fun, and even the family, like, hey, we're going out. Chris is in his room talking on the radio. Let's leave him. We'll come back and, right. and get, get him later. Uh, but I didn't regret any of it. It's just because of what you said. And I, it was it was passion. I'm like, not only do I like sport, you know, talking about sports, but there's other people listening and people would respond to what I said on the radio show. I was like, well, that's cool. I mean, this is obviously before social media where now everybody can make a comment and you can get you can get followers or people to react but i was like well they really you know and then i really helped pay my way through i had to work in radio to pay my way through college to get in uh to television through an internship in in miami florida and then working for a cbs affiliate and then getting on the espn and then fox and then again the industry changed over time in terms of what was available with channels and, and opportunities uh, like that. But yes, it was, a, it was a passion that I still have. And I think that's, what's cool about this because I'm a sports fan at heart. Uh, and it be, even though it became a job and a profession and yeah, there's some moments with travel where you deal with difficult people, whatever. Uh, but I, ne- I never lost that. I mean, I would be watching baseball or trying to ever talk. I talk, you know, sports still people, Hey, you get tired of talking. Sports. No, not if you want to talk sports on my day off or if I'm on the golf course or, you know, hanging out with people to guess or whatever it is. I, uh, that, that doesn't get old. And so that's, a, that, I'm thankful that it's an industry that the passion didn't burn out or, or at least I, you know, have, have carried that. And I think it's, it's made it fun no matter what the, the job or the assignment is. Went on to Miami Dade, uh, then Florida International University, hosting call-in shows uh, during your college years. And uh, then you moved to New Orleans. Would you consider that uh, to be a broadcaster? I think it's WWL. Would, yes. you con- would you consider that your first big gig? I think that's a pretty big station. Yeah, no, it, you're right. It is. And it, they big on, on, you know, not only the New Orleans Saints, but LSU was big uh, in terms of the, their baseball program, basketball, football. I mean, that, that's a that's a powerhouse. I know Tulane is located in New Orleans and Baton Rouge is really the LSU home base. But it gave me an opportunity, that TV station. I got onto a TV station in Miami from radio and and that really uh, and I, I hesitated leaving there because that was kind of my hometown and I really. But the station in New Orleans, WWL was a big, powerful CBS affiliate. And they really, you know, they made it worth my while. It wasn't just the money. They were like, hey, we're going to, we have big plans. You know, we have a weekend or a weekday anchor. You be weekends here and you could get the weekdays in a short amount of time. We'll give you the contract. But we also, for a local station, this was big, Brett, because it changed a little bit of the way things. They said, we'll, we'll send you to uh, cover the Masters, you know, or the Kentucky Derby or the College World Series. If there's a tie-in, if you can find a local or an angle or something. 
And and that happened at a time when, you know, LSU was going to the College World Series uh, and uh, there were other uh, Hal Sutton played at the Masters. And so I got to go there and cover it. And then you're around Jack Nicholas and some people back at that time. So that for a local station, that that was a big opportunity. And I, I uh, so that opened the door for when ESPN started to grow and the networks to notice that, wow, you know, everybody's, you know, I'm not in New York or I'm not in L.A. working on those TV stations, but this guy is covering stories that that we want to, you know, the country in terms of sports fans want to know about. So it, it really was kind of my break to go there and be there for a few years and then and then have that opportunity for ESPN to come knocking. Head to Bristol. Uh, that's ESPN from, and you worked there from 1988 to 1998. And I was going through this and I'm thinking, you know, that's my heyday uh, as uh, as a yeah. viewer, as a viewer, that's my heyday to, to watch you guys. You know, it's 1988. Uh, I'm in college at the time, you know, in 1990, I signed, but that little area of my life, ESPN, you guys were so big in, in my life. And I think, Every minor leaguer that had a dream around the country, because I'll tell you, and I've told this story before, but but I love it. I remember sitting in a ball and I couldn't wait. I was just that guy. You know, I'm going to throw that tennis ball off the garage if nobody will play catch with me anymore. But I'd finish that a ball game and I'd go home. And I'd go to my little apartment or whatever we had, you know, five guys in a room and we'd just turn on Sports Center. All right. What did what did so and so do tonight? What did you know? I'm watching baseball tonight. Right. And I thought that was a really cool time. This is, you know, you mentioned a lot about there weren't many outlets back then. There wasn't. That's where we got uh, yep. us pro ball players. That's where we got our information, how the big boys were doing tonight. And we watch it. And, and it seemed like I always had two or three roommates with me glued to that TV watching you guys. Cool time for ESPN. Uh, you know, the, the, the personalities that you had on there. Um, just take me through that a little bit. That time frame in ESPN, it was a sports center. It was uh, that will turn into up close for you. But right. but uh, the baseball tonight, the sports center, being on that desk, being a personality. I, I want to hear about the rivalries. Was there a rivalry? Uh, <laughs> did somebody have to come up with the newest, you know, Berman's back, back, back? You had Charlie Steiner, who we had on the program uh, recently. A lot of fun personalities. Uh, give me a snapshot of it. Yeah, that no, and you described it. It was uh, to me. I refer to it, and look, ESPN is successful now. There's ESPN two. There's ESPN. Things were different, but it was the place, and it wasn't. It was growing. That's what was cool about it. It was building, and I was so proud to like be a part of this as a young guy, as a reporter, and then get on a on the Sports Center desk. You know, to be around a Chris Berman and a, and a Bob Lee and, and how people came from different backgrounds, broke it, you know, broken Linda Cohn on the late sports center. Mike Tarico and I did what was the 2 a.m. Eastern time sports center in Bristol, Connecticut. Uh, but it was 11 o'clock in L.A. And I, I was always as funny as a kid. I was just kind of a big Laker Dodger, you know, West Coast sports fan. And so it was a perfect window for me. And I, what they would do, though, back then is rerun the sports center. We'd wait for all the games in and set up putting a new one on at like 6 a.m. after somebody's workout show, they would just rerun all morning 
the uh, the late sports center with Tariko and I. Later, there were guys like Craig Kilborn and Carl Ravitch came along, whatever. But those those the people would watch those reruns, and that's we got a lot of exposure. Whether it was late at night on the West Coast or early in the morning, so yes, the personalities grew, and those were those were the golden years. Sports center was cool, it was fresh, people liked it. It it didn't become any kind of a monster. Uh, Dan Patrick was cool. Berman had, as you talk about baseball players, loved his nicknames. We, you know, athletes were really respectful kind of of us. And uh, at, at first, I remember Frank Robinson, the late Frank Robinson, may rest in peace, was managing. And I went out to this probably would have been my first year there in 89, San Francisco, I think it was. And I, and I said, hey, I'm with ESPN. Do you have a chance to? to talk to and he said what is that a spanish uh, cable channel what is that you know and then he did the interview but it just shows you the growth because at that time espn was probably only about eight or uh, ten years old or whatever they weren't even that developed and then they became through the 90s you know that was that was the the, the big run and and I, I had a great time we I, we had great people behind the scenes uh, college kids that, that that really brought a lot of energy to help us with shot sheets and and storylines and and uh, covering different types of, of things it, uh, Chris Berman and I kind of ushered in baseball tonight the whole concept before there was a, an MLB network uh, which was a, which was a lot of fun and uh, yeah I, I and then later my transition we can spend time on that if you want but I I was always a fan of interviewing people from the radio days and that type of thing. So we went up close when Roy Firestone left that out in Los Angeles and I had a chance to do that show. I filled in a few times and then go to the West coast and live out there. I was like, Hey, this is, this is the direction I want to go. That was a whole new, whole new chapter in, in my time with, uh, with ESPN before getting to, to Fox sports. But, but I look, no, I look back fondly on, on those years. I really thought breath that I'd never leave. You know how sometimes a player, you like it here. Hey, I'm with this group. We're growing. We're built. I don't think I'll ever leave this team. And then things come up and, and, and circumstances change and, and there's an opportunity to go on and, and, and do something else. But um, the, those were special years and, the, and they'll always be uh, special years. The people I worked with and, and for the reaction we had from just what you said, I still run into people today, you know, in an airport, it's da 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 you know, hey, I remember watching you in Tariko and you said this and did you, I did you know, and all these things that that, that came out, I kid because I care. I, you know, I used to do the thing, you, you're not good with a pitch and a swing and a miss from 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 Chevy Jason and, and Bill Murray with Caddyshack, which some players, I remember running into them in spring training, they didn't like that. They thought, including Jose Canseco, they thought I was a, I was I was calling them out, which I wasn't. I was just having a little fun. But uh, those, those, whatever you want to call them, catchphrases, also a lot of them came naturally. They just said, we would sit in the, the newsroom there in Sports Center watching games before we go on, and that's, we'd react to, hey, that deserves a wow we'd react that same way and then if you said it on the air and it, people liked it you, you kept going back to it but it was a it was a special time you know it, and you bring that up and i never thought about it before it's kind of like you guys this was all new i mean you guys became personalities recognized yeah, per- yeah. personalities uh it, it was almost like this saturday night saturday night live of sports Yep. It's like these guys and all of a sudden you're coming onto the field and interviewing us. And now we know you because we're watching you at night. We're seeing how our, you know, our buddies are doing around the league. So you guys did become pretty prominent and recognizable, uh, recognizable guys away. Yeah. I want to, I, mean, I want to get that to you. You, you're, you started, uh, like we talked about, you went to new Orleans and now all of a sudden you get this ESPN break. Bristol, Connecticut's not the, the biggest place. No, and, it's a, and, and now it, yeah. all of a sudden 
you're you're famous. You walk outside, you go to lunch during the day. That's a small town. You got a lot of guys in in a small area. What was that like for you the first time people started recognizing you're going, wow, wait a minute. This this 16 year old gig I did on the radio calling in twice is starting to pan out. (laughs) Well, it was bigger. It's funny. It was big. And the reason I brought up the Frank Robinson thing, because a few years later, I would go introduce myself to somebody like a Tommy Lasorda. And if I was out covering and he would say, I know who you are. I watch out the light sports center. You're making fun of the whatever. And, you know, and so it's like, wow. But yes, outside, even outside of Bristol, Connecticut, which is kind of a suburban, you know, bucolic little, at least back then neighborhood. That, and you weren't really near, you know, you had to go quite a ways to get to New York or Boston's and Hartford was the, was the big city. They had the whalers back then. So, but when you got outside of that, that's when I noticed it traveling with my family or something. And I'm going to, you know, Chicago or visiting somebody out, out in uh, Southern California, and you're on a plane and people are like, Hey, I, you know, I, I, why, I like that sports hour. You, you know, why tell Chris Berman that I love, you know, Frank Tanana Dackery or Bert B. Home Bly Levin or, you know, there was that, that's what it was like. Wow. This is cool. I mean, you know, you, Cause we just, yeah, we didn't, we weren't sure back then we, you know, we knew we were doing something and growing something fun, but the ratings, you know, there were economic issues and things like that. It wasn't as big and powerful. Uh, they were owned by a different company before Disney bought ESPN later in the years, which was an important part of that transaction. But yes, it was a, it was kind of a startling uh, moment. It was rewarding, but, but you, you know, you also had to kind of <laughs> do your job and you had some hecklers sometimes who, you know, who, who didn't like what you were saying about their team or whatever. You still get that. I mean, that's, that's the reality, but you hit on it. And that was a good, that was a good comparison. Uh, SNL, just the, the the timing and the growth and the way it hit an audience because there was no competition. And at the time, Brett, a lot of local stations in sports coverage were going more just to their teams. So, you know, if you wanted a national picture of watching, like you were saying, you want to get highlights of all the baseball teams. You know, if if I'm living in Miami or I'm living in Atlanta, but I want Dodger highlights, I, you know, ESPN would give you all of them. It didn't matter. And so that that was the magic of it. And then, yes, there was there was some room for personalities and people were were there for a while. They didn't come and go. So we became kind of regular faces, almost like the people you rely on in your local news for the weather and in the, in the neighborhood kind of a thing. So um, but it was nice. It was nice that people like Nala and again, still do from uh, from from those days. And again, I working with some special people uh, made it more fun. You mentioned up close and, and uh, yeah, I wanted to touch on that. You, you, like you said, you took over for, uh, for Roy Firestone kind of made it famous. The Jerry Maguire kind of put it to another level. Um, You took over. What do you think made up close so special? Because it seemed like back to everybody wanted to come on up close. Yes, that's a great point. I give Roy Firestone credit for establishing and for ESPN, then giving him the chance to have a half hour interview one-on-one, you know, think about it's a Larry King or Charlie Rose or some of those other shows that were there, but, and they might have a, 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 you know, a special athlete on once in a while, but, but for all the other athletes, uh, the place to go for and be seen by everybody on this sports channel. And, and I wanted to do it live. I want you know, I didn't, uh, we didn't do like second takes or it was live to tape. You know, I wanted to make sure the real question, the real reaction was, was there when I came in. But uh, I think that's why, because at the time, again, we didn't have the kind of internet, social media format, YouTube, all of these opportunities for athletes to speak for themselves. 
this was a chance where they could do that and and represent whether it was a you know a, a celebrating happy moments uh, or some difficult moments. You know, dealing. I remember Warren Moon having to come on and talk about domestic abuse that he was involved in or an allegation of charge. You couldn't you couldn't run from that. Obviously, the O.J. Simpson interview was the most famous, highly rated, and, and an incredible moment. The first live interview after both the murder trial and the and the wrongful death lawsuit uh which was a which was a special uh type of experience and i'll <laughs> i don't know if i'll ever be able to re- relive anything like that but that and, and obviously having athletes on after big moments of, uh, of of leading the league at home runs or making all-star games and and uh, uh some of the great people even celebrities that, that that wanted to talk sports so i think that's what made it, it, it like sports center or espn there weren't a lot of other opportunities for athletes to go where they could have their voice heard uh, completely and not be misquoted or misrepresented. And you said it was a half hour show and and we talked a little bit off air about uh, this podcast and, you know, I've only been at it for, for a year, year and a half now. And I'm, I'm learning a lot every day on, on what it's like on this side of the mic. You know, I've always been on the other side of the mic. I've always had Chris Myers asking me the questions all of a sudden I'm in this seat. And, and at first it was kind of daunting for me. Like I've done thousands of interviews, but now I've got to interview somebody. It was kind (laughs) of talk about a fish out of water. And, you know, I've had people around me that have really helped me formulate questions and how to do interviews. But you tell me about that half hour. Did you ever have, man, did you ever have a guest on? And I want to, of course, I'm going to get to OJ. I can't let you go without OJ, but <laughs> did you ever think, man, a half hour, it's just not enough. I have so much information to get out of this guy. What was that? And then kick me when you get uh, that OJ uh, interview, what's going through your mind? How do you prepare for that? Well, that one, I'll save that for, for the back end of your, your okay. question. Uh, and Siri, but you know, you hit on a couple of things because a half hour, uh, it's, you're right. It's not a lot of time. And now, now with podcasts, people can go for a long time and it's a different format, but we knew going in at, look, I had personalities like, you know, Charles Barkley comes on where well, do you do a half hour. So with him, you, you, you try to target, you try to be topical if you can and, and cover the biggest parts of their career. Or sometimes you'll want to do a career retrospective, but other times you want to, Hey, let's hit on something topical. Tell me about, you know, why the Lakers are so old or what, you know, what happened to LeBron or, or is, is Mike Trout, does he need to be more of a leader to help the angels? You can ask other people some things that I think trigger current thoughts about, about uh, what's going on in, in, in the world. But, uh, that was a, that was a fun, if there was somebody who was, I think needed more time, sometimes you could go, do two half hour shows and they would run back to back. But for the most part, we tried to keep guests a little bit, uh, uh, a little bit different. And sometimes you had players, you'd put players on that, you know, they were star players, but they just weren't comfortable in, in, in front of being a microphone, their agent wanted them on there. Like, Hey, this will help, you know, and they put them on and then they weren't really, they didn't almost like didn't want to talk. And that was, that was a difficult challenge. Some interesting things that came out of that. Barry Bonds told me, you know, he's look, he's, he loves baseball. He just doesn't love, you know, dealing with all, everything that comes with it. He's most happy when he's on his motorcycle, uh, you know, and driving down the coast. And that's when he feels free. I mean, there, you know, and, and again, there's different stages in, in their careers when they, when Brett Favre told me, you know, I said, Hey, I'm sorry. I missed your golf tournament last year. He said, yeah, I, I missed it too. I was on, I overdid medications and, you know, I, I, you know, I had a problem. <laughs> I had to, I had to clear it up. So there were a lot of different moments, Billy Crystal, Bill Murray, some people I've, I've, I've forged some uh, 
in contact with through years just because they're such great sports fans and, 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 and regular people behind the stardom and their great skill set. So um, it, it was a special show for that. And I, I really I, I did enjoy that. It was like the next layer for me in doing what I like to do at SportsCenter was fun, but I, I just knew I, I didn't want to do that all my entire career. I just, because it's just, you know, you, you go to the, whatever the next challenge is uh, kind of a thing. The OJ Simpson interview was, was at the end in 98, 97 there where, yeah, it was the first line. He was going to come on the show. I think he wanted to come on long before the, the murders took place. And then after all that, he said, I still want to come on once he was found not guilty, but he was, found guilty in the wrongful death suit. So he's called with his agent or attorney, I should say, and said, can we, you know, have come on and, and uh, but I have two requests. Uh, he's, I said, what are, I said, look, just be realize I got to ask you, we're not going to talk football. OJ. And I, I had only met him a few other times, but I was like, man, we got, we got a lot to cover. This is a different kind of interview. He said, well, all my only two requests is that we do the show live. And I said, that's fine. And he said, uh, and that you don't bring up my children. And I said, okay, that's, that's fair enough. Otherwise I'm going to ask what I need to ask. Otherwise we can't do the interview. And so we planned it. It was supposed to be a live half hour. Um, and we ended up going uh, as we went on from the, the home office in Bristol. Once we got rolling, they were like, hey, this is too good. We're going to go, you know, another 20 minutes or whatever. We almost went an hour, which was important because just what you said, a half hour wasn't enough. I had a lot of information. But my preparation in the sh- short time I had over a few months, I, uh, I mean, I saw court documents and photos that even the jury didn't see. I, I, I talked to uh, police officers and two different uh, attorneys, you know, legal people. Uh, Vincent Bugliosi, the attorney who put Charles Manson away, was a, was interested in this case. I called him. He talked to me. I had a representative of uh, O.J. Simpson, who was on his legal team, tell me, look, I, I wouldn't. The guy's a, he's, he'll embarrass you in a live form. He's he's a good liar. And, you know, be careful about this. Anything associated with him is not good. And I was like, ah, I still I still want to do this. You talk about a challenge. I have people criticize me. I had a few death threats like, hey, you're putting this killer on the air. And, you know, I, I, I uh, he came on. We never talk sports. In fact, at the end of the interview, you can go back on YouTube and watch the whole thing. But he just said, oh, it was great talking sports with you. And that's the only guest uh, I never shook his hand because we didn't talk sports. We We talked about everything about the trial. Uh, because that's that was the pressing thing at the moment. And he knew that he knew that coming. And I think he thought that he would, uh, you know, win some people over. His ego was that big. But I think it was real clear. It was clear to me in, in my preparation that there's no way he didn't do it or wasn't involved in it. Maybe he had some help. I don't know. Um, but I wanted to, at the time ESPN guided me as the approach. Don't give away what you think. Just be the reporter and ask the questions that people want asked. And and that's what we tried to do. And the biggest takeaway was when I asked him if he was capable of killing and he said, yes, you know, but then he said, we're all capable of killing if we're upset enough, something to that effect. (laughs) Wow. I don't know. I don't know if we're all capable of killing. I'd say that's the, yeah, that's the thing. I I don't think, I I don't think that would ever come out of my mouth. (laughs) No, I don't think I would say that either. It's a poor excuse. What you'll get a kick out of this, Brett, not a kick, but it's just, I just thinking about this because it's been so long since I even watched, but we're go we're doing, he had a, he had a media representative who brought, you know, his own PR person, this woman who's in the green room. I'm doing the show live here in Hollywood. So we go through the first section of the show and I'm asking him, showing him pictures, you know, his wife, when he first, the physical abuse before we even get 
to some things. And, you know, I mean, photos that were just violent and talking about her. Dad. You know, I said, hey, what, you know, you're searching for the real killers. Uh, can you tell me, did you have a contact a detective agency or, uh, you know, a private investigator? You have a canceled check, something, a phone number. And he couldn't give any of that stuff. But, but we hit the break. And then he's like and his 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 media rep comes out or his PR person. She's yelling at me like, you shouldn't be doing this. Interview. This is like. And I and before I could even say he said, hey, I got this. Go back in there. This is fine. You know, and then he turns to me and says something to the effect of this is in our two minute break in a live window after we're talking about, you know, his ex-wife being beat up. Or the, uh, he's he's like, hey, you know, I got a I got a tea time at Riviera and we have an opening at our foursome next week. If you want to if you want to get in there on Tuesday. <laughs> I, oh, I, I, what do you say I, to that? Yeah, I, I was stunned. I was like, who is this guy? What? I mean, I don't know if he was medicated a little bit or what, but he, but he was, I got to say, he was a little bit of a hulking, uh, in, tried to be an intimidating figure a little bit. Uh, but I just said, no, hey, no, I, I, I don't have time. I, have <laughs> I don't time. golf. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't golf with people charged with a double murder. How about that? No, I, I didn't. I just kind of weaseled out of that. I didn't know what to say. And then and, and we came back uh, from the break and went on. There were a number of different things in the, in the course of the interview. But those were a couple of the things I just remember off the top of my head. But the preparation was big. And I had the I had a lot of people that, that helped me out with with that. I mean, it was really it was so involved. I'd be at home and I, you know, somebody would say, pass the salt. And I'd say, object, uh, objection sustained. You know, it was like <laughs> ridiculous. They're like, calm down, Chris. You've got another few days here before this interview. But I I really um, I, I really did sleep well the, the, the few days before because it was uh, it was a very different. It was obviously the most interesting interview. You know, and, and I, again, I got into sports because I loved it. And the athletes and talking to people and this this took a different twist. But the circumstances uh, were so strange and the opportunity was there and any, you know, the company su- supported me and I'm, I'm glad that they did. I'm not, I'm not sorry that I did it. It had to be surreal. I mean, you finish that interview lights go down. OJ leaves. And are you thinking, Ooh, okay. What, what feedback, what feedback were you getting out at, in the, in the days to come on, on well, how I, it went once it aired, once it aired? Yeah. Oh, once, it was yeah, live. It was live. Yeah, it was live. So I didn't know. I mean, I, you know, there were people talking on the radio, Jay Leno, the, the next night on the tonight show, man, a comment. He, I think he made a joke about OJ or something, but I, I felt like, you know, I, I took a deep breath and it's not about me. It's about, you know, what the viewer sees and did I do, did I do the best I could of asking the, 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 the right questions? And I, I knew he wasn't going to come on the show and say, yeah, I killed these two people or somebody helped me get rid of the evidence. I mean, there, there were all kinds of uh, certain kind of tentacles to, to, to the interview, but I, I just wanted to make sure that, you know, that I, I used all the questions and information that I had. And again, the, the big thing in an interview, Brett, you know, this from, now doing this, you got to listen to what the person says. So to me, often you get a better response by the follow-up answer. I mean, the follow-up question, you get a better answer than the initial question. You know, you, you, you listen and there's something in their answer that's going to help drive your next question, or at least expound on, on the, what you re- the information you really, you really want. So I think people, what I was most proud of, and I, by the way, I had the Goldman family uh, send a note saying, thank you for being so thorough when nobody had exposed him like that. And I don't know that I exposed him, but that was their view. Uh, the attorney, Bugliosi, who since passed away, uh, sent a note, said, kid, you did well as if you were in a courtroom. <laughs> he called me, called me kid. I don't know that I was, that I was a kid at the time, but that's okay. I appreciate it. But I, I just wanted, and I, I think what I was proud about is that people could watch that interview and, and think I was fair and let the 
you, the viewer, judge for yourself based on what O.J. Simpson said or did in that interview. Wow. I, I you know, wherever you were before that, it, did, did he really show you that he was innocent or did he convince you that, hey, I think he might have been guilty the way this guy um, that that's what I was trying to do there. I wasn't out there to attack anybody or I had my own views, as I said, when I went into this. But I tried tried to be fair because I said, maybe he'll tell me or or explain something that'll that'll change the evidence that I saw and the people that I talked to. Um, and 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 certainly he did. He did not. Wow. You've been you've been a part uh, of a lot of big moments in sports that kind of like real life crosses into sports, starting with the OJ. You said you put the rules up front. Listen, we, we really ain't going to talk. I, I don't care about fourth and three. Right. What, or what Heisman. You, right. <laughs> it, you know, one day, maybe 10 years ago, that would have been fun to ask you that. But you've been you've been a part of some big moments. And what comes to mind is that 89, the, the Giants and the A's World Series, the earthquake hits, uh, yep. you're on location, the Olympic Park bombing. You're there. Uh, take me through those. And, and we've had a lot of guys on the on the podcast that that were at the stadium when that earthquake hit, you know, from from Will Clark to, to Kevin Mitchell to uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other guys. Anyway, we've had four or five guys and they all have Walt Weiss. I've had on recently. He talked yep, about yep. his experience with that. Um, what was your experience? I know you stayed on stayed on the air uh, by living in Southern California. In Southern California, not Northern. I was used to that in college. I yeah. remember having getting shaken out of my dorm room and we all went out in the middle of the night in the parking lot. <laughs> and we just kind of, you know, we're at USC and we're thinking this is what we do in Cali. When, yeah, that, I, when that hit, that had to be something different. And and not only you probably we didn't have the, the communication like we have now. We can't just go on our iPhone and find out what's going on. But the aftermath had to be, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to let you take it from there. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. It was just as you said, because and it's hard for people right now to realize. Well, and I guess when certain things happen, the cell phones go down or you, or the Internet goes down and, and the TVs are off. And so the, then that's where you were uh, are. And that's where we were. I had had moved to Southern California briefly as a reporter for, for ESPN at that time. So I, I went through a minor uh, type of uh, tremor, but nothing like this. And like you said, people who lived out here are a little more used to it. But this felt different. We were in the auxiliary stands up at Old Candlestick Park. And I, I, the people you talked to, I, it's funny, you're naming them off. And I remember seeing the, the, the people there, too. You know, the, the Terry Steinbach, Mark McGuire. I mean, the visual. But but uh, I was with Chris Berman and Bob Lee. And, and so we're kind of in auxiliary stands because the press box wasn't that big. And when it first hit, neither one of them, obviously, they're East Coast guys. They hadn't experienced anything like it. It would sound like something like a plane or something would hit the stadium. But then you felt and I had felt a tremor. I'm like, oh, this this is like a you know earthquake, you know, kind of Bob Lee gets, gets a little rattle. And, and Chris is like, oh, yeah, this could be a, a wild rider. I was like, no, this is. And then it, it felt like and this is an exaggeration, but this is what it felt like and looked like to me, like the field looking down. And again, people start to scramble, but it looked like almost a, like a wave, you know, if, if, as if I was watching water in the ocean coming in. Obviously, the ground wasn't doing that. But that's the, the 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 rhythm of of the motion of of what we felt, and that place was candlestick was built into some bedrock, and so it, it withstood a lot of that. And, and <clears throat> so you knew, and I was like, hey, this is an earthquake. We got to get down from here and see if we can get on the air. 
I don't know if we were on the air because ABC had the actual, uh, let's see, Al Michaels was calling the broadcast, but we had our satellite dishes and that type of thing. And we were because they, we had so many at ESPN, we were able to stay on the air and report in different ways. And our assignment just said, Hey, Chris, you take this thing. And Chris, can you, Chris Berman go to here and Bob Lee take, you know, so we, we tried to, to set up once we knew we, we were safe. And at the stadium, I think it turned out that most things from what I recall, we didn't realize we're like, Oh, this is a major earthquake, but we didn't realize at that moment where we were, that things were happening that we saw later with the Bay bridge and the Marina and the kind of disaster and, and lives that, that were affected lost in, in, in all of this. And later you find that out, but our uh, covering a, sporting event there we're like okay is every uh, you know are these teams safe and uh, what's going to happen in the world series and then you realize hey it's much bigger than all that so we i just remember the power being out for a few days after that in the hotel it was hard to get around and we're, we're trying to do daily reports for sports center and faye vincent the commissioner talking about should we cancel the world series or not or uh, and and it, it was it was difficult it was uh it was scary you know only because you were hearing about the real tragedy beyond and and then you had the concern of of the players and their and their families but um you know it's it's funny because you go back to when you're studying journalism or broadcasting you, you know even though you're there for a game and a world series and it's fun when something like that tr- happens you trigger into reporter mode you know kind of thing okay let's get the facts and figures who's anybody hurt you know any lives lost where are they going to put the player the players families who are in attendance their fans getting out of the stadium okay what you know where, where do we go and then once that happens and it's like okay well we have news people to cover the other stuff but will the world series continue uh, how, how will they approach is the stadium safe to do it well, those kinds of things so yeah it was a different again kind of challenge i know i've used that a lot uh and an awkward experience but it was i i think it was handled as well i remember talking to tony Larusso a little bit about the, at the time the thoughts i think it was handled as well as it could have been for trying to continue that but be respectful of how serious the situation was Olympic Park bombing. Another, yeah, yeah <laughs> another, another, I know. another sports meets real life. Yeah, I had a family member say to me, Chris, where you've been sometimes, we're worried if we're around you too much. Something <laughs> right. like, yeah, I said, oh, hey, look, it's just one of those things. But yeah, 1996 Olympics in Atlanta. ESPN, NBC has the Olympics, but we're there. I'm doing up close. So we're set up in the downtown area, Chamber of Commerce on the second floor where we would interview uh, certain athletes. Uh, Charles Barkley was playing on the on the Olympic, the basketball team. So we had taped him that day. And then I would stay at night for the late sports center and I would wrap around, you know, results. We could show graphics. We couldn't show out of the video yet because it hadn't all aired little bit of a different circumstance but boom i hear this sound while i'm recording some boxing results and i thought it was fireworks at first and and the producer again back in bristol connecticut it's like now we're gonna have to retape because you know you're trained if you hear a noise you just keep going as if it's live but something like that so i said all right well hold on and then i looked and i could see down below behind me uh, Again, panic. Uh, I, I could hear sirens. I could see lights, uh, red lights for whether it was an ambulance or medical EMT. I was like, hey, we got to 
you know, we got to do something here. This is there's something serious going on. And and it was the way they blocked it off because we were there so late for the late sports. center. I think it was after midnight or whatever it was or late, uh, maybe yeah, closer to midnight. We were kind of the only ones down there that, that 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 had access to going live. And so our cameraman, we weren't even supposed to be in that building. They were trying to evacuate everybody. So we got out on the street and, and we stayed through the night all the way till I think it was six or seven a.m giving reports and updating. And, and I know ABC news picked up some of that from different time zones along with sports center. They, they would carry things and then they'd come out to us. And at the time, that's the other thing, Brett, that was concerning. We, we thought maybe terrorism and there, there's other bombs or are there a lot, number of lives lost. And thankfully it wasn't as, as damaging or as fatal across the board as we thought it could have been considering the concentration of, of people. Uh, but it was, again, a unique experience. And, and at that time, not having the same kind of communication, everything had to be through the um, uh, microphone to, you know, talking back to Connecticut and the home office for them to, to beam it out on satellite. But I remember talking to different medical people, police that had the NASA national guard were, were in at that point overnight with barricades. And, and they were kind of giving me information that I could relay that this area is safe or that this area has been cleared and there aren't any more bombs here, or there isn't any more threat. Uh, so again, it was a very different experience. What's funny about that or unusual is because it was so hot in Atlanta in the summer, uh, I was taping, you know, and I had like shorts on these baggy, you know, just summer shorts and, and my coat and tie. You could only see the upper half when I was taping at the desk or up close. So and usually I you know, go home and change afterwards. And, but when this happened, there was no chance to change. So some of the, some of the <laughs> scenes where I am reporting very seriously, you know, with the, and they with the camera guy would move around to show something. And you just see me in shorts like, um, you know, vacationing at the <laughs> beach. So it was one of those I kind of learned a professional lesson there because uh, I got teased by, by some people about that. But but it was just and I'm actually I'm glad I I'm glad I did do that because I stayed comfortable through the night. I remember being hungry and thirsty and there just there was nothing open. There's no place to eat. It was just tough luck. You had to kind of work your way through it, just like our cameraman who was hustling, uh, working through everything. And also the the crews of the people that were trying to clear up the situation but it was another one of those it's going to be a fun sporting event and then uh, you know a disaster hits uh, and you turn into a news reporter and do the best you can go back a little bit 1998 uh, you make the jump from ESPN to Fox and um, at the time a lot of success at ESPN is it did you did you think it was a calculated risk at the time were you were you all in did you know because I think at this time, Fox decided they want to go toe to toe with ESPN. Uh, yeah. What were your thoughts having that success, leaving that leaving that that company that you loved and, and you talk highly about? Uh, what are you thinking? Next phase of my career risk, not a risk. Yeah, no, it was a risk. It was uh, I was a little. I was a little offended that ESPN was like, ah, you'll never leave us. And it wasn't really even about the money. Part of it was about I liked living in California after doing up close uh, and and just kind of wanted a little more job security. Family was out here, uh, didn't necessarily want to move back to Bristol, Connecticut. They couldn't they couldn't guarantee that or they wouldn't at the time. Um, but but that was minor because I thought I'd still stay with ESPN, I thought we'd work it out. Fox was growing and I, and I liked kind of their attitude about 
some of the things that ESPN had changed in terms of personality and freedom of expression and those kinds of things. And so, uh, you know, and, and Fox was like, you know, hey, we're going to we're going to do this. We're going to do that. So you're, you're taking a bit of a risk because you're, they haven't done it yet. You know, they yeah, they had uh, they got baseball and they got the NFL um, and and this cable channel. They're trying to find a way to go against ESPN, which has been in business for 20, you know, whatever it is. Uh, at this point, already establishing a foothold, and they've knocked off other other places that have tried to compete with them. So, yeah, it was uh, it, it was a risk, but I I thought it was one that I had to take just because I wanted to kind of continue to do other things and 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 be creative. And uh, the up close show, they weren't sure that was going to continue. I was really enjoying doing that. Had an opportunity to, to do some of that at Fox and. Ultimately, it came down to, you know, location and opportunity to do other things, which later would be uh, being the reporter on a World Series, you know, the actual game being the reporter on a Super Bowl broadcast that Fox had and 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 calling NFL games on on Sunday and being a play by play guy that those are those are some great things that, that Fox afforded me down the road. So it paid off. Uh, but yeah, at the time, I, I really, again, I didn't plan on leaving. And, and, and I, I uh, obviously few circumstances could have changed things, but they didn't. And, and, you know, that's, that's how things go, but it was a tough, yeah, it was a very tough call because I'd, I'd reached a point where I was very happy, uh, at ESPN and all the other years we talk about is you talk to you work or you work and you're like, Hey, I'm, I'm with the right company here. I'm with the right kind of people. Um, but those things changed a little bit. And I'm grateful now. I've actually been at Fox almost twice as long as I was at ESPN and, and it worked out well. But looking back on it, yeah, you, you wonder about those decisions. And uh, I'm glad I made the decision I, I made because it, it worked out, but it wasn't an easy one. Yeah, National Sports Report and your show uh, going deep. In 2001, uh, Fox kind of establishes itself in the NASCAR world. You mentioned on the opening, uh, you know, NASCAR wasn't wasn't your cup of tea. You had some brothers that were really interested uh, in it. Um, you hosted Fox NASCAR. I think that was the pre-race show. Right. Um, and man. We just got out of your historic, you know, the the 89 World Series and and, uh, the Atlanta Olympics and Daytona 500. Dale Sr. dies and Dale Jr. wins. I mean, wow. It was a a day. Yeah. For our first broadcast. And I look, Fox said, hey, we it's again the Fox attitude, which I appreciated. You know, you, you got to know the sport and you got to know the rules and that's everything. But it's like uh, you, you don't have to have played. You didn't have to race a car or played, you know, Major League Baseball to do a baseball show or to do a, an auto racing show. So we'll give, you know, a Daryl Waltrip, this Hall of Fame driver, uh, and a three a champion of the sport and a, and a crew chief, a couple of different crew chiefs, Larry McReynolds, Jeff Hammond, that would be analysts for the pre-show. And we had established the auto racing guys to to call the to call the race. But, it, you know, Dale Earnhardt's the face. I mean, it's like Michael Jordan in basketball. Dale Earnhardt is it for for auto race NASCAR, and and in this Daytona 500, he crashes, and and we had to announce to the world that he dies. And it took it took a while, you know, to make sure an announcement like that. You just <laughs> you just can't rush into. Uh, and then his race team wins the the race. You know, DEI Dale Earnhardt Incorporated, which was which was a, a, an amazing unfolding of events. Um, and, um, yeah, I look back and then I was still doing NASCAR all these years later, which I still enjoy. And I've worked now with Jeff Gordon, Clint Boyer, 
uh, different people on the on the pre-race show. And um, it's actually been uh, very enjoyable. I've become more of a race fan doing it. And I think the sports really evolved. You know, we've our relationship with our cars has changed over the years in terms of when you think, uh, you know, electric cars, maybe driverless cars. And so how, how things used to be uh, when auto racing was a little bit different at the, at the NASCAR level. But uh, the sport has grown and it's 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 become I, I think it's swung back around to uh, under the circumstances being as being a popular mainstream sport. And I, I think it has that once a week big event feel like doing an NFL game, you know, as opposed to the nightly uh, sports of three or four times a week or five or six, depending on baseball or or hockey or, or basketball. But yes, that was quite an introduction to being a part. And again, that's part of the reason to go into Fox was they, they wanted to go after other sports, you know, to, to gain, and they've since gone into soccer and college football and a number of other things. So, um, but the auto racing venture, and they, I think they, they upgraded the, the, the televising of, of uh, NASCAR and, and they've done well with that. And I think the audience has responded. I was glad to be, uh, to be asked to be a part of it. You mentioned earlier about uh, for those who listen to the Boone podcast, Chris, I got to to work an event with Chris back in 2003. And, and I to this day, uh, the grilling I got from ex teammates. Let me set the tone. And this is before Chris and I were together. But I, I get a phone call. It's 2003. I'm in the middle of my my prime. You know, my Mariners didn't make the postseason yeah. and Foxes. They're going to try that third man in the booth. Chris, looking back on it now. <laughs> unbelievable first of all how unprepared and it's amazing when we're young and, and we're in the middle of a career you know i'm thinking to myself i don't want to go into the booth i don't know anything about it i'm a baseball player i don't oh well they're gonna pay me a lot of money i'll get to watch my brother fine i'll go and i remember getting up into the booth like five minutes before each game and buck and mccarver they've got 10,000 notes on their desk and I'm just rolling in and they're like, well, what are you going to say? You got to have an opening. I said, well, what do you think I should say, Buck? <laughs> and he would give me a little bit of tutelage and, and Timmy, I knew from when I was a kid, him and dad played together. So right. he helped me as much as he could, but I, it was different for me. I, I I'm sitting yeah. in that booth and I'm going, okay, I'm a current player. And I remember, you remember the series. It was, a, it was a controversial series. We had the, the Zimmer getting thrown down by Pedro and, yeah, and the throwing yeah. behind their head. And it was really tough for me as a current player because it was like soon as Pedro threw that ball, I forget the, the hitter. It was a left-handed hitter threw behind him and they kind of looked at him. First thing Buck says to me is, did he throw at him on purpose? <laughs> and I'm going, okay. <laughs> I put myself into player mode and I'm going, all right, I know myself. If I'm in this series right now, whenever I'm not on that field, I'm up watching the video. That's where I got my video back then is, right. you know, how the pitcher's pitching, what's he's throwing in this situation. As players, as hitters, that's what we do. Anytime uh, that we're not out on the field or hitting, we're up watching to prepare for our next at bat. So I know. They're going to see and hear or somebody's going to see and hear everything I say right now. And it's going to get back to Pedro. And of right. course, you know, the question is, did he throw at him? And I'm sitting there. OK, how can I walk the line? And I found out, listen, the, the audience will respect you, but but you've got to be a little bit honest with him, because if you just comb over everything, you're going to lose that audience. member. That's so right. I remember thinking that, you know, that was a tip I got up in the boot. Remember, I come into this. I'd never been anything near uh, talking on a game. And I was quite silent, as as everybody knows. And I've been made fun for by countless people 
people. Yeah, uh, but better to better to be quiet than say something. Stupid. Well, exactly. So that's rule number one. Yeah. So I said, you know, I'm looking at McCarver and Buck and I'm going, you know, kind of squint my eyes like you're going to make me say, of course, he hit him. Of course, he threw on him on purpose. I said, what do you think? He didn't. He's Pedro Martinez. He doesn't miss like that. Now, next day, you know how we have to go for that pregame meeting with the manager. I'm walking through that little, you know, visiting clubhouse, which I've donned many times as the visitor at, at Yankee Stadium. And sure enough, there's Pedro and he's yelling at me, Booney, Booney. And I look over, I got my suit on and he goes, hey, man, I didn't mean to hit him. I didn't mean to hit him. And I'm going, oh, here we go. I got to face Pedro in about three months. And he was listening to what I'm saying. It was like, who was the second base? Do you remember who the Yankee second baseman was? Soriano. He was the second baseman, ended up being an outfielder late in his yeah, career. Uh, Alfonso, yeah. Right? Yeah, Soriano. Right. And I remember he kicked yeah. a... He kicked well, the, the hard part for you is you're still... Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no. I was going to say the hard part for you is you're you're still an active player. That's a that's a big difference, right? In in being put in that oh, position. Oh, it's it's a huge you know, difference. You put me in that position yeah. now, it's much easier. I can come out of very professional, and and critique when you need to be critique. I always appreciated that from announcers as a player. If I'm going to be one of the main guys making a lot of money in the middle of the lineup, I'm not playing well. I expect to hear it. I, I expect to hear it respectfully. But I need to hear that because, you know, I know I'm going to get praised when things are going well. That's just kind of what you sign up for. But I remember Soriano making an error and Soriano wasn't a very good second baseman. And they kicked it to me. No, Brett, Brett, have you ever have you ever made an error like that? And I'm thinking to myself, oh, what am I going to say? And I said, you know, it happens to the best of us. Really? My honest answer is he's really not a very good second baseman <laughs> in left field. <laughs> but once again, like you said, I, I needed to, to play with him or, or play against him in about three months. So that was that was tough for me. It was a great experience. Uh, Aaron obviously hit the home run. I remember I told you yeah. a million yeah. times that the producers yelling at me in my ear and I'm saying, I don't know what to say. I was so excited for him. Yeah. And anyway, anyway, <laughs> that, was that, that was fun. It was. Yeah. And I, I think it's 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 good for players. It's funny because you didn't I don't know at the time if you thought, um, but sometimes guys will do this later in their career and say, hey, I might want to try broadcasting after I'm finished playing. You know, we're seeing more and more of that now with MLB Network and all the different you know opportunities. But uh, you're in a tough spot when you, you're right. You're going to face those guys again. And you, you, you know more. That's the, that's the thing we're looking for from an analyst. We want you to be as honest as you can be, but be respectful. And in terms of if, if that was you out there, if you're talking about somebody that, you know, you're, you're going to have to go up against, it's a little bit different. And, and that goes on a lot, by the way, or even from from former players who say things, there's guys looking for. Them. I remember uh, with Tim and uh we were doing the, what was the Kenny Rogers? It was the, uh, I think it was the Tigers Cardinals when Kenny Rogers had the, uh, marked up the ball or something like that. And we said something or we showed it. Uh, and, and then the next day at Jim Leland, we went in and he was manager of the Tiger. And he just like ripped into all of us, Joe and, and Tim, like, how dare you guys show that and expose him or whatever? You know, I know what you're doing. Or you, you know, it was, it was just like kind of a thing like, Hey, we we're reporting on the, you know, the game here. We, it was, it was something that was on TV. So we had to react to it. That's kind of part of the, part of the job. But you, did you ever want to go back and do that again in terms of your, 
of being I, an analyst. I, in the booth I, 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 I think I might, you know, at this yeah. stage of my career or this stage of my life, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I walked away from the game and I thought, I, I don't want to be a part of anything. I played, I did my time. I, you know, I had a really nice career and I'm walking away. And, and now as life gets away from you and the kids are growing up, um, you know, I, I think about that. Maybe I will get in the booth. Maybe yeah. I will do this. Who knows? You know, people say you want to be on the field. You want to manage. Who knows? And, yeah. and I think at this stage in my life, I'm kind of doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And, and I don't know what the future holds, but uh, definitely I'm going to keep all my options open. On, yeah, on what I, th- I, would I think it's do or wouldn't. Yeah. And I think it's cool that your brother, Aaron, who I always enjoyed, you know, being around and covering that, that he you know, becomes a, he's a terrific broadcaster at, at, on the Sunday night games. And then he, you know, gets the chance to manage the, the New York Yankees. Unbelievable. Uh, you know, right? Yeah. It's a, it's just great. And I know obviously go back to your dad and the great family history, grandfather, but, but uh, you know, things, it's a different world uh, out there. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny too. Cause I, one of the assignments I had with, with Fox was I was the field reporter in the dugout when the Red Sox finally broke through and won in 2004, you know, with Kurt Schilling and Manny Ramirez, you know, this was after obviously the Yankees. And so uh, that was a, yeah, that was a a, a very unique, you know, experience. Another, another special time to be, when I look back on that and the characters and Applebot and just some of the, you know, Mortiz, big poppy and, uh, just even Alex Rodriguez from his time when he was in New York. It, it's just funny how, how time goes by and players. I know you mentioned you had Reggie Jackson on. We were talking before we came out here on your podcast before, and he was one of the guys, you know, even when I was just kind of you know, as a local reporter before I even got to the, I was covering spring training down in Miami and, and, and being around Reggie and watching his career and always enjoyed him. And that's the cool thing about this. The years go by, but you, you have the great memories, the great connections either to the events or to the, to the actual people who were the players on the stage. You know, it's interesting. We talked about you when you're 16 years old and you needed to be passionate about what you're doing, calling in the talk shows. Aaron, although Aaron was a good athlete and a good player, and obviously he ended up having a, a really good career in the big leagues, Aaron was like that when he was, when he was young. I mean, he, oh, would really? sit, he would sit in the room and he would broadcast Phillies games and, and he would be Richie Allen or, uh, uh, Harry Callis. That was yeah, his Harry, favorite. Oh, great oh, and he yes. would imitate him and he would imitate all the players. And Aaron would set up a field in our living room, you know, in New Jersey, where we lived. Right. And the game would be going on and he'd have a microphone and he'd try to interview me. Now I'm four <laughs> years older. And I'm like, what are you doing, you little you little punk? I don't want to do your stupid interview. But Aaron right. started back then. So, you know, fast forward to post his career when he worked uh, when he worked for ESPN, it, it all started to make sense. Like he was training for that back when he was 10, 11 years old. So yeah. he was wow. like that, too, as a kid. He was kind of double. He was he was the athlete and he liked he liked that side of the mic, too. And he was always into that. Yeah, it's like you can always go back to that. I mean, you only get one shot to manage the Yankees, right? Or at least unless you're right. Billy Martin, of course, or right. but, uh, we had a different time, different era. But but that's cool that I didn't know that all these years of having been around or whatever, that 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 he that he had that kind of same thing. about. And you know what? A, a lot of young people, Brett, you, know, you talk to them, I speak for colleges or universities about broadcasting media. How'd you get into the business or where do you go? How do you? And, and it, a lot of a lot of the people who've had some success and, and still to this day, it's like, you know, go to a game and finally get whatever call it, you know, do your own play by play, you know, get, get started. And so you, you feel the rhythm. If you're, if you're enjoying it, then, then take it to the next level. I mean, a lot has to happen to get from, you know, point A to, to point B, but that's how it begins with that, uh, with that interest and you want to do it. So it doesn't feel like, like work to you. You keep doing it and try to do it better. 
Speaking of the play-by-play, you've done a lot of sideline uh, reporting. You've done a lot of play-by-play. Um, do you have a favorite or you like it all? I, well, I like it all. I, I always love interviewing people, right? That's the, if I, and I wish again, you know, like this, a podcast, there's, there's different kinds of ways and shows. I would still like a, a, a TV show that maybe an up close version of interviewing people, but play by play for NFL is, is really, there's a rush there. There's, there's something that, because uh, of the, and I, you know, obviously I like all sports, as I said, but there's something about the snap of the football, the high energy baseball is a conversational flow, right? Through the, through the game. It's the, you know, you, you sit at the ballpark, you absorb it, you take it in. Uh, you know, football's the, the snap, the action of where the NFL has gone today with it, with its broadcast. So uh, I, I do like it all. I really, I can't, you know, and that, and that's why when you started out and said, Hey, you've done all these kinds of things, they, they all kind of add up and I would do them all again. And, you know, maybe a, a different order, uh, some of those difficult events, uh, I wish they didn't happen, but you, you, you deal with them, but yeah, calling, calling a game is great. And then, uh, you know, really interview, being able to interview people and have time. Uh, the reporting part is tough. And I, I really credit the people that do it now that, you know, the, the ones that are really special, like a Ken Rosenthal that have the information that handle the situation of uh, Aaron Andrews that has contacts with, with certain players that, that, uh, you know, you, you're down there working a lot on 90% of the material. Sometimes you don't even get to use, but you're, you're feeding it into the broadcast. And you're doing the best you can on that kind of stuff. So um, uh, there, there's a, I think what I'm excited most about or grateful the most about, I should say, is that I was able to do all of those things. And I, I when I started out, I just kind of want to, you know, like you maybe wanted to be in the big leagues. I just wanted to be on a, you know, a anchor of Monday through Friday sportscast, you know, maybe in LA or a big market was kind of the thing. And then here I end up covering world series and super bowls and reporting and calling games. So, and, and talking to some really cool people along the way. So it, uh, it's funny that path that takes you 2017 you started at westminster kennel club 2019 did some boxing a lot of stuff young broadcaster comes to you what advice do you give them well, I hit on the first thing you talked about. You got to have a passion and an interest in it. And, and I always tell them start as young as you can. I, I, I really mean that whether it's just in your own house uh, calling out a game or studying sp- sports or watching people that you think are very good at, at, at what they do. And, and, and you might say, Hey, I want to be on the air and do this, but the, you might have to go a different route. I mean, I did some producing behind the scenes, some radio work as a production guy. So that helped me get on the air to do what I wanted to do. So once you do that, once you felt, once you get into just get in the arena, so to speak, uh, and then you can find your way. You can be an assistant productive production, but you see whatever, how a reporter does his job to get on the air. And then you get on the air as a reporter. And then when there's an opportunity, you, you can become an anchor and then uh, you get to the, or if you want to do play by play, start at single A and you're in a farm system and you get moved up at another guy, then you're a triple A and maybe you fill in on the, in a, on the big league games once in a while. So uh, yeah. And you got to really devote yourself to it. But as I said, if you like it, you know, if you're a fan of it, uh, then you, you don't, you don't mind working, you know, you just have to balance out the rest of your life, but follow that passion. That's really what drives you. And then if, if the passion dies and then, then maybe you're in the wrong kind of business, if you can't make the, the sacrifices you need to, to be successful. It's the one interview you never got that you, you look back and go, man, I wish I'd have got that one. Ooh, well, that's a good question. I, 
you know, I was thinking I, I've interviewed, you know, everybody. <laughs> well, yeah. I, mean, I was going to say Muhammad Ali was my first interview. Mike Tyson. I, I mean, I, you, when you think of the range, right. Of quarterbacks of, from Joe Namath to, to Tom Brady, to, you know, to uh, uh, Mike Trout, to Barry Bonds, going back, Reggie Jackson, I, I, just different sports. I mean, Magic Johnson, Shaq, Kobe, uh, wow, it, uh, Nicholas and Tiger. I, uh, yeah, I guess I would have liked, uh, I guess I, I would have liked to sit down with Tiger Woods uh, even now and really get a lengthy interview with him, you know, kind of an up-close style interview or even a LeBron James where they are in their careers, especially at this point with what's going on in, in their world and the sports world. I, 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 so I, I interviewed them briefly, but not in that lengthy format. Um, that's prob- that, that jump that comes to mind. You know, and I, it's one I had a chance I've interviewed, I mentioned some celebrities who were big sports fans. And I always, I tried to get Jack Nicholson, you know, the, the great actor who was always on the floor with Laker games. And, and, you know, he did, he just didn't do those kind of interviews. And, and that, that would have been nice at the time when I was doing up close when the Lakers were rolling with showtime uh, to be able to do that kind of it, it would have, it would have tied in nicely too, because Billy Crystal, as I said, and Bill Murray, when they came on, they were terrific. And, and, and I mean, sports fans, they, they're, they're so knowledgeable too. They probably could have done sports broadcasting in, in their careers, if that's the path they wanted to take. And they were really entertaining and, and likable and still, I think uh, still are revered by people. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's probably, you know, probably where I would have would have gone with uh, with that. I mean, looking back historically, there's just so many different people. I wish at a different time, a different era that I could have interviewed. But the ones I have, I, I'm always appreciative of. All the things you've done. What are you most proud of? Well, I don't know. I guess uh, just that I I treated every. You know, I have a corny slogan that I started with. Uh, every night's the Super Bowl. That was kind of my, which goes back to what we were saying that every job assignment is is important uh, but not many you can't have fun and enjoy it uh, and be a little lighthearted with it but 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 take it seriously enough so that that you're not cheating your audience uh, or or the event itself or the people involved in it so uh, and I, I have given over a long, a long stretch of time and as I said I uh, the passion still burns for what I'm doing and the people in in the sports world so just that I uh, yeah every night the Super Bowl that's that still rings true to me you know sometimes I'm a little off or don't, you know, I could prepare a little more, uh, but at least always going in, I've, I've given it my, my best shot. So, yeah. And in terms of, you know, what, what's out there, I mean, people could point, you just ran through a number of different things that I, you know, if you would have said beforehand, how would you handle those? I think I handled them uh, at least under the circumstances as best I could. And sometimes it's a blur, you know, while you're going through it, I'd like to go back and watch it and relive those moments, uh, which I sometimes do in these interviews in terms of just talking about it, but I don't, I don't have the visuals in, in front of me. So, um, uh, just grateful that I, that there were opportunities to kind of cover the people and the events that, that I covered through the years. Chris Myers. Uh, thank you very much for coming on the boom podcast. It was a lot of fun. What a career uh, up to this point. And like you said, that passion's still burning. There's, there's still, you got a lot of, a lot of commentating, a lot of sideline, a lot of play by play left in you. I appreciate you coming on the podcast, a lot of fun. And what we do each and every boom podcast at the end of the podcast is we kick it back to Dan Levy, Dan, 
That's going to do it for the Brett Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, the technical director, producer, voice of the Boone Podcast. EP, executive producer, Rachel Rara, digital. All gets uploaded by Liz Landry. Do us a favor, share the Boone Podcast. Neighbors and friends and all those that love sports, make sure you subscribe. Never miss an episode. And while you're at it, give us a five-star rating and share your feelings about the podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boone Podcast, he is Brett Boone. You can find him on social media at the Boone 29. I'm Dan Levy, BASS on air. That is base on air, all of my social medias. Thanks for listening. We'll do it again soon. Have a great one.